If you haven't worshipped, you've been asleep. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Laura and I have not talked at all about the music that she was going to have this morning. And I'm going to preach exactly the last song we prayed, or we sang. If that's not a God thing, I don't know what it is. If the Lord wills, in a couple of days, you and I are going to be presented with a brand new year, a brand new decade. And as we stand back looking at that coming at us as fast as it is, we're not sure what's out there. It's all unknown to us today. We have no idea. The ancient map makers, before they had GPS, before modern surveying, before extensive and massive exploration, when they would draw their maps and they would come to the end of their knowledge and the exploration that they had gone through, they would write on the maps out beside where they had drawn the land that they knew, they would write these words. There may be dragons beyond this point. You can see that in Latin. If you go to Europe, you'll see a lot of those old maps. They were afraid of what was coming. They didn't know what was out there. Well, you and I, as we stand here at the last of a year that's been something to behold, I guess. We know about a divided nation. We know about the dragons of brutally cold weather and fires and floods and mass destruction of people and rogue ballistic missile scares. And I will tell you, they're going to be in the next year as well as well as other things that we may not have experienced yet or we know nothing about. How can you be victorious over all the dragons out there? Well, I want you to know God wants us to be victorious. Many, no, I'm going to correct that. Most of us in this room, and I'm including myself, have a real problem We have a real problem. And let me tell you what that problem is, and I'm including myself with you. Here's what it is. We believe the Bible. We really do. We have no trouble in believing what it says. But here's where most of us have a whole lot of trouble. We don't know how to take the Word of God and appropriate it in our life. We don't know how to do that. We take verses of Scripture and we will put them on our screensaver. We calligraphy them and put them on the walls, and people will uh, embroidery them and put them on the walls where they can look at them. But they never know how to appropriate them in their real life. And I want you to know that all these verses that we love and that we see around our house and on our screensaver and everywhere else are wonderful verses, but I want to tell you something. They are not primarily meant for you and I to look at and enjoy reading. They are bank notes. They are checks to the bank of heaven for us to take there and to deposit and to receive all that that has for us. Not just to carry it around and look at it and wonder about it. 
We have trouble using God's word daily in our life and making it something other than the theoretical, making it practical in our life. Most of us does window shop. You know what window shopping is? I love it when my wife window shops. But let me tell you about that. You know, we go and we walk and we look at it and we touch it sometimes and we talk about it, but we never buy. We just look at it. We never buy into it. I heard about this man who asked his wife, said, why do you call it shopping? You never buy anything. She looked back at her husband. She said, why do you call it fishing? You never catch anything. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, friend, about this. Window shopping in God's word is tragic. Tragic. And I want us to see what he has to say in all of this. We've been just shopping from God's word, not proclaiming the truths of his word. And we're a tragic people because of that. I want us to think about how to take the truths and the promises from God's word and put them practically in our life as we face the dragons in 2020. And they're out there. I'm going to tell you they are. They're out there. God wants us to be triumphant in this new year in spite of what's out there. I hope you have your Bibles. You'll turn it with me to Joshua, the 14th chapter. I'm going to read verses 6 through 9 from my copy, and you follow along in your copy of God's Word, and I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God as I read aloud this passage of Scripture. Joshua 14, that's in your Old Testament, verses 6 through 9. Listen carefully to what God says. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses. And what the Lord said to Moses and to uh, us, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. He's talking not only about... Caleb, but Joshua as well. And now in verse 7, he says, I was, or I was concerning you, or what it was concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, when Moses, I'm having trouble reading this morning. Let me go back. I was 40 years old when Moses the servant of the Lord sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers went, who went down with me made the hearts of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And then verse 9, And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Would you pray with me? Jesus Christ's first message after he began his public ministry was focused on repentance. Father, I pray that 
this church and that I will continue to declare this timely message as we enter this new year. Father, I pray in all of this that not only we as a church, but we as individuals will claim all that you have for us in this next year. That you will teach us how to do that. I pray that as believers we will repent of sin. I pray for those who have never received you, that they would repent of sin and turn to you this very day. And Father, as we begin to get this new year, as we get close to a new year that you've given us, I believe there is so much more that you have for Crossroads and for each member that we have never, never experienced at all. So I pray that you would give us boldness to possess the land, to take what you've laid out before us. We've not even begun to do that. And I pray, Father, that you would have us to wholly follow you. You would show us how to do that this morning. And then, Father, we would do that as you speak to us. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. This is an amazing event that happens. We see it here, and it's happened back several years before that in God's Word as as we'll be looking at that in a few minutes. But I want to put all this into proper perspective so that you'll begin to understand what's happening because we're just sort of dropping into the middle of it. This place that Caleb is promised is a place called Hebron. It is south and east of Jerusalem. It is some more place. Canaan, you know, was the land where God gave his people when they came out of the wilderness to go. Let me tell you something about Canaan. We get confused about that some. Canaan is not the promised land. Even though the old songs will make you think that if you sing some of them, It's not the promised land. Now, let me tell you about Canaan. Canaan is a place of victory. It's a place of fullness. It's a place of spirit-filled living. But it's also a place of battling. You won't have that in heaven. We have to battle where God sends us. And there will always be a battle. And I want you to notice that. And so Canaan was the place where God put his people. And this particular place that... Caleb was interested in was a place given to Caleb and his descendants and they were to claim that just as he claimed that he's going to show us Caleb and and God in his words going to show us how to claim what God has for us at this time 1 Corinthians 10 verse 6 is an interesting verse it fits all the things that we know about but it says now these things all these things that have been written in God's word that took place, they took place for examples to us. So what we're going to study this morning and what we're read about and what we're looking at is an example for us at Crossroads, right here, sitting in this room this morning. God's going to show us how we can claim our inheritance, what he has for us. We need to quit window shopping. We need to quit just looking 
and not taking and not applying God's word to a heart and living it. And God wants to show us how to do that. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. God makes it possible for us to be triumphant. And I don't know about you, but I want everything God has for me right here and now. I don't want to get to heaven someday and find out there was a bunch more, a lot more that I could have had that I did not take out and claim because I was fearful to do so. I want to have victory right now. I want to be where the breezes of victory blow. That's where I want to set my feet on that kind of land. I don't want to miss out any more than I've already missed out on what God has for me. And so God talked to this 40-year-old man some 45 years earlier and promised him this particular place called Hebron. And he said, this is yours. You're to give that, to take that. Now, you remember when the spies went over into the promised land, they spied out the whole land. And when they had got to Hebron, as well as some of the other places that they were gone, going to, uh, to spy, uh, to go out and see what was there, they found some things that were amazing. When they got there, the clusters of grape were so large that it took more than one man to carry a few clusters. It was a place of, go- of pomegranates, a place of figs. It was a place of valleys and hills and beautiful waterfalls. Compared to where they had been in the wilderness, it was like heaven. And this is the place that God had sent Caleb to spy out. And he said, Caleb, I'm going to give that to you. That place, Hebron, to you. Grain and olives were in abundant everything. It's something that he had looked for and he wanted. And he said, Caleb, you can have it. It belongs to you. It's yours. All of this is back in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. But I want us to stop where we are right now in this. I want you to see this. You remember 12 spies were sent out. And of the 12 spies that were sent out, they did see all of those things that God had promised them. But when they come back, the Bible says that 10 of those 12 said it can't be taken. And they influenced the majority of the people there in the wilderness to also think that it couldn't be taken. Two men, Joshua and Caleb, said we can do it. We can take this. We can claim our possessions. But because the majority did not do it, they didn't get to claim their possessions. Now let me share something else with you right here. Do you know that God had to kill off the older generation before he could take the younger generation into the promised land? Let me make that practical. I hope God's not waiting to kill me off before he can do something in this church. I hope he's not waiting to kill you off before he can do what he wants to do through these people. There's a lesson in that. We need to know that and we need to understand that. And that's what had to happen before God's people could go into the promised land. But now they've been in the promised land for five years where we're reading. Caleb now is 85 years old. He has fought with the rest of them to take the other land knowing all the time that he was to go back to take that place that God had promised him those 45 years earlier. And then Moses also had proclaimed it again. 
Now he's reminding Joshua of what God had promised him, and he's going to take it. He wants all of it, just as God had promised it to him. Now, it had all those things that I talked to you about, but you'll remember that it had physical giants. They were physical giant men. They lived behind big walls. They lived on high places. And when the people went there, the spies went there, all they did was just window shop. They said, we can't take that land. All those giants are in that place. Well, there's some lessons in this. And this is what I want you to see. And I hope you'll use your outline. We're going to talk about how to claim your promise, how to take what God has given you, what God wants us to have, not only as individuals, but as a church. How can we take the promises of God and make them real and not just when to shop them? Let me give you the first thing. We have to exercise Caleb's character. Exercise Caleb's character. What is this man's character? Now, let me just pause right there. Remember the difference between character and reputation? Reputation is what you wore in here this morning, and I wore in here this morning. Character is who we really are. God knows that, and if you're married, your spouse knows that. But we come in with reputation. We want it to look nice and neat. But we're talking about character not now, not reputation. And I want us to look at Caleb's character. I want you to see it. I want you to see what this man has and who he is. I'm going to read these verses and you listen to them very closely. Verse 8, we read a while ago. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And then verse 9, we read a while ago. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely... The land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And then listen to this next verse that also, verse 14, we didn't read. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Did you hear that again and again? In those few verses, God's Holy Spirit is saying to us in this place this morning, I want you to get this. And he puts it all there again and again and again. He's telling us about Caleb's character. Three times he says, this is Caleb's character. And he's saying, I want you to get it, folks. At Crossroads, I want you to hear this as well. Here was a man whose character was holy following God. Every inch, every ounce, every muscle, every fiber in this man was totally given over to God. He was following God. That would make a difference in this new year and in this church if half of us did that. What a difference it would make. In fact, if we're not following God wholeheartedly, James tells us that we're double-minded, unstable in all our ways. That's what God's Word tells us. If we're not wholly following after God. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's what Caleb did. That's what God is saying you have to do if you're going to possess all that I have for you. That's what has to happen. God's not impressed with half-heartedness. It really don't excite Him at all. I want you to know that. 
He's not interested in what you're going to do someday. He's interested in what you're doing right now. Half-hearted relationships don't excite him at all. If I don't wholly, completely, totally follow the Lord, the devil's going to intimidate me. He'll intimidate you as well. He'll take advantage of the part that's not given over to the Lord. And he'll begin to work with us like that. That's what he's talking about. If we do not completely follow the Lord, the giants are going to come after us. And there's a lot of them out there. These people, verse 8 tells us, when they got back, the giants made their hearts melt with fear. And they come back and they translated that and gave that to all the people in the wilderness who had not made that trip over there. And they, their hearts melted with fear. Every one of them did that. We see dragons. We see dragons when it comes to the churches we're in. We see dragons in our own life. And all of a sudden we say, we can't do anything with that. And our hearts melt with fear. We don't have the character that Caleb had. It's what we're talking about. Let me ask you this morning, what would you have to give up in your life? Or what would you have to begin in your life this morning to totally, wholly follow the Lord God? Think about that for a moment. It's the only way we're going to have victory over the dragons. It's the only way we're going to be able to possess all that God wants us to possess, giving everything to God. It's the only way you can stand against the dragons. Let me give you something that you have to be old enough to get for it to happen to you. There's something that happens with age and retirement. I can speak with authority right here. You begin to get more honest and more truthful on a deeper level with God than you ever do before if you're his child. Listen carefully what I'm about to say. You might ask, Kent, are you really totally, wholly following the Lord God? And I'm going to be truthful with you. The answer is no. I've been humiliated by sin, by fear, by doubt, again and again and again. And I realize I'm not. I mean giving God everything, surrendering totally everything to Him. My possessions, my feelings, my character, my reputation, my rights, my habits, my anger, my future, my problems. All of that, giving it to God. Totally surrendered to God. If you're not wholehearted, I want to tell you, you're going to be faint-hearted. Because Satan will come after you. And he knows the places that he can get at you the best. He don't want just 90, God don't want just 90%. He wants it all. Wholly, totally, completely. Dwight L. Moody, the Billy Graham of his day, several years ago, was saved as a young man at 19 years old. And when he received Christ, he began to preach the word. God called him to preach. And as he began to preach, God used it. And God uh, used him in a way that was exciting to a lot of people. But it's interesting when you read something about Dwight L. Moody, what he said. On his second trip to England, and he preached a lot in Europe as well as here in the States. On his second trip to England, he heard a man by the name of Varley preaching out 
in a field in England in some of those lush green fields that you will see. Henry Varley was the man's name. And here's what he heard standing. They didn't have seats to sit in. They were standing out in the middle of this field. Hundreds of them there. And he heard Henry Varley make this statement. He said, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to the Holy Spirit. Dwight Moody bowed his head according to his biography, and he said, I made a promise to God that I will be that man. And he points out in the rest of his ministry that his ministry totally changed when he made that commitment to God. Wholly, totally sold out to God Almighty. Write this on your bulletin. I didn't put it in there, but it's too good to not get it. Lukewarmness. Lukewarmness is the worst kind of blasphemy. Lukewarmness is the worst kind of blasphemy. You think about that for a minute. Think about that. So if I'm going to be able to manage the dragons that I'm going to meet, if I'm going to be able to possess all that God wants me to possess in this new year, I must exercise Caleb's character. But let me tell you something else I have to do. If I'm going to possess what God wants me to have, I've got to exercise Caleb's confidence. exercise Caleb's confidence. Let me tell you what I see in this man, Caleb. Because his character was to follow God wholeheartedly, he had rock-solid confidence. He believed God would do what God said he'd do. He believed when God told him to do something, it would happen. Listen to Joshua 14, verse 12. So now give me this hill. He's going back to Joshua, Caleb is, and reminding him of what Moses and what God had told him. So he says, So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Caleb is saying, With God's help, I'll take what God promised me 45 years ago. I will take it. I'll get it all. Now, giants possessed the land. They did that. There was large cities that they lived in. They had fortified walls that they could get behind. And where did this man, 85 years old, get the idea that he could do that, that he could take that? How did he get that kind of confidence to do that? Why is it that some people seem to have greater faith than other people? We look at them and we wonder, how do they do that? Romans 12, 3, listen to these verses. I say to everyone among you, not to think, himself, think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. God gives all of his children a measure of faith. Every one of them. Every one of us have that. God gave it to us. Now I want you to know how to, I want you to listen to how to use it. You listen to these verses and see what God says to you from these three verses. Verse 6 of the, the 14 that we just read a moment ago. You know what the Lord said to Moses 
the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. Verse 10, And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive just as he said these 45 years. And then verse 12, So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. Do you see the theme in that? Look at it, all of it. Do you hear it over and over again? The Lord, the Lord said, the Lord spoke. He's listening to what God is saying over and over again. He's saying that. I don't know how great your faith is this morning, but I want to tell you it can be greater. God will increase it and will. It's all there in Romans 10 verse 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's where he got his faith. He was listening to God and God was telling him these things and he was relying on what God was telling him. That's how your faith increases. That's how my faith increases. Faith is not positive thinking. Faith is not waking up one morning and saying, I believe I can do that. It's not optimism. Faith is not some positive attitude. Faith is getting a word from God and acting on it. Our problem is we hang it on the wall. We put it on a screensaver. We don't know how to take it out of the theoretical and put it into the practical. God says in His Word, and when I take His Word and I act on His Word, my faith begins to grow. Not just mine, but yours will as well. That's what God is saying. It's what He's telling us in this. That's what He wants us to hear. It's what God's telling us. We do everything with it except take it and make it ours. That's what it's all about. We win the shop all the time. We've never taken those words and made them ours. How can some people take the word of God and become so bold with it when others of us are unable to do so? Listen again. Caleb's confidence came out of his character. Came out of his character. He was able to believe what God told him and act on what God had told him because his character was the fertile soil for the seed of confidence that God was going to grow inside of him. That's where it all begins. He wholly followed the Lord. We have difficult with belief. We think, well, I don't know. I see that, ve- I see that verse. I've read that verse, but I don't know about that verse. Hebrews 3.12, Take care, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil, now listen to this, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. You take note of what I'm saying God is saying. And notice what he says, that there, that there be any, uh, in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Now I just want to tell you something about unbelief. It's not just an empty head. It's an evil heart. Do you understand that? When you refuse to believe God, when I refuse to believe God, that is an evil heart. I didn't make this up. God says this. That's what His Word says. Unbelief is not a mental choice. Unbelief is a moral defiance in the face of God. Do you understand that? Do I understand that? We just look at other people and think, well, they get it, but I don't. And it just sort of passes over us. 
It has to come from a heart, a character, wholly committed to God. John 7, verse 17, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. Jesus said that. But do you really understand that verse? I looked over it a long time, many years before I understood it. But let me tell you what it says. It says, you take care of the surrender. Kent, you, whatever your name is, you take care of the surrender to God, and God will take care of the confidence. Did you get that? You take care of the surrender in your life. I take care of the surrender in my life, and God will give us the confidence. It's what he promises in that verse. So if I'm going to slay the giants, if I am going to have victory in this new year that God wants me to have, I have to exercise Caleb's character. I have to exercise Caleb's confidence. But there's a third thing I want you to see. I have to exercise Caleb's courage. Caleb's courage to step on out on what God has said. I want you to look at this again. Because of Caleb's character... He had confidence that was unshakable in God. And from that came came courage. If you read this entire story, even going back in Numbers where this started, you see a man, when everybody else was saying it can't be done, this man was saying it can be done. When everybody else was backing up like a dog that was whimpering, he was saying, standing solid as a rock, we can take that. We can take that in the face of all the people that said it cannot be done. Caleb stood there like a rock. Joshua 14 verse 12 says, I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. I know there's giants over there, but I'll drive them out just as the Lord said. Where does he get that kind of courage? You know, most of us think courage comes from the size of your bicep or from the strength of your intellect. If I can get one of those, I think I can take care of myself. His courage was rooted in the confidence, which was rooted in his character. He had three giants out there. We're going to have three at least waiting for us. I want you to look at one. The first one's grasshoppers. Joshua 14.8 And my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. When the spies came back, they said, yeah, there's all kinds of fruit. That thing is, that place is a place of milk and honey, just like God said it was. It's everything we don't have and we need. But I want to tell you something. God didn't tell us there's giants in that land. There's giants in that land. We cannot take that because there's giants in that land. Yes, there's hills and valleys and there's streams and there's everything we want, but there's giants in that land. They were the descendants of Anak. Listen to Numbers 13.33. And there, these spies are saying, we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. When those giants looked at us, we looked like grasshoppers to them. And when we looked at how small we were in the midst of those giants and all of this, we looked like grasshoppers to ourselves. You ever get that grasshopper syndrome? We can't do this. It's too big for us. There's no way in the world we can do this. 
Yes, everything else is over there. But God says, keep your eyes off of the enemy, off the giants. Put your eyes on me. You see, Satan will get you and he'll get me to look at the size of myself and look at the size of my resources and say, it can't be done. That's exactly what Satan does. That's what he wants to do in your life and that's what he's done in my life. We felt pretty good about that place over there until we saw those giants. We were intimidated by those giants. They're big giants, and they were physical giants. The Bible speaks in, in probability nine feet tall. I'm not talking about six and a half. I'm talking about nine feet. Big giants. We're going to face giants. Let me tell you some things. Some of the giants we're going to face. Do you know in 1970... In this nation, 85% of the people surveyed claimed they were followers of Christ. They were Christians. Last year, 45% of the people surveyed claimed they were Christians. Friend, I want you to know There is a cultural shift going on right before our eyes, right here in Cadiz and in the world we live in. I want you to understand that. And it's coming like a storm at us. It is. Goodness. We get caught up. Do you know we have people today who believe that our foundation as a nation was built upon God is really not important? And they believe that religion is really a detriment to our society now. We're talking about the majority of people who live in this nation. That's what we're saying. I read this just this past week. I want to share it with you. Generation Z. That's the generation from 1995 to 2015. They're just getting in their 20s. I want you to listen about that generation. They are, those Z generation, they're in their 20s. They make up 26% of this nation's population. And let me tell you a little bit about them. They have been raised on technology. They don't know anything else except but technology. We know that. They're activists. And they like to volunteer. Those are good things. They are sexually fluid. It really doesn't make any difference to them. They are post-Christian. And listen to this. Only 4% of them believe in a Christian worldview. 4%. We're down to 45 now. As soon as they step in, we're going to be at 4%. Friend, there's giants out there. And when I look at myself and I look at all those things out there, I begin to think it can't be done. We can't turn it around. But God put this in this word for you and I this morning. It's what he wants us to know. Caleb said, we can take it. We can take it. We can do that. If you read Numbers 14, 
Caleb and Joshua were voted down by the rest of the people, the whole number out there in the wilderness. And for 45 years, Caleb held on to God's promise. When the time come to do it, he was ready to do it. And I want you to know, friend, I believe the time to do it is now. I want to tell you, if we don't do it now, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen for you. It's not going to happen for me for our families or for the society coming up after us. So grasshoppers was one of the problems. Let me give you another problem was giants. Giants of doubt and fear and discouragement and financial and health and moral and anything else you want to step in that place. Those giants. They were dragons and we got them today. I want to remind you that these giants didn't surprise God. He knew they were over there. Do you know it? He knew that before he sent his people in. In fact, here's something you may not know. God put them there for his purpose. He put them there for his purpose. How do you know that, Ken? Well, there's a little old verse in Numbers chapter 14, verse 9 that says, now listen to this carefully. Only do not rebel against the Lord. This is Moses telling the people before they go. And then he says, And do not fear the people of the land. And listen to this little piece of phrase. They are bread for us. You didn't get that. They are bread for us. We feed off of that. We go closer to God because of that. That's what brings us into the presence of God so we can have victory. I put those there for you. Ken, I put the things in your life that you're going to face in three days. I put those there to draw you closer to me, to show you what I can do. It's what he's saying. All those things that we think we wish we could do without. God said, I put them there. I didn't say this. Somebody else did, but I like it. Anakims are the breakfast of champions. Goodness. That's what that's all about. God says, I put those out there as bread for you. They help you grow. They cause you to claim me as your only source. That's what that's all about. Well, there's grasshoppers. There were giants. There was one more enemy. Gray hair. Some of you can't talk about that. Some of us can. Listen to verses 10 and 11 of Joshua 14. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 40 and 5 years, since the time the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. Verse 11. I am still, now listen to this, I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going out and coming. Ken, do you really believe that? Do you believe this man, 85 years old, is as strong as he was when he was 40? Don't you believe his eyes have dimmed some? Don't you believe that some of those muscles have atrophied in him? He don't have those big biceps anymore. Do you really believe that? Yeah, I do really believe that. What he's really saying is, don't let this gray hair fool you. 
That's what he's saying. Don't let it fool you. But let me tell you how I can believe he has the same strength now that he had when he was 45 or 40. Let me tell you why. Because when Caleb and the rest of those spies were sent into that land and God was going to give it to them, no man in that group, including Caleb, by their own power could have taken that place. They couldn't have done it. Caleb couldn't have done it. Joshua couldn't have done it. They couldn't have done that at all. Unless their strength was in the Lord. Now listen carefully. At 40 years old, Caleb's strength was in the Lord. At 85 years old, his strength is still in the Lord. And the Lord don't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes, he had the same strength to take it with today. And we have the same strength today that our forefathers took when they faced uh, giants in the land where God sent them. We can't use that excuse. Fortunately, this church don't have a lot of gray hair. Or unfortunately, whichever it is. But most churches I go in, you almost have to dynamite the gray hairs out of the chair. They'll tell you what they did 15 years ago. And then they'll say, I'm going to rest and let the younger ones take over. You don't find that anywhere in God's Word. That's a lie from Satan. I want to tell you, friend, when God comes after me, I want Him to catch me serving. Still serving the God I started with. That's what all this is about. You know Isaiah 40, verse 30, 31. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. I didn't make that up. God's word. One last thing and then I'm through. If we're going to claim the possessions that God has for us, we have to have Caleb's character. We have to have his confidence. We have to have his courage. And then we have to exercise, last of all, Caleb's conquest. His conquest. Joshua 14, verses 13 and 14. Then Joshua blessed him, Caleb, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to that day because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. He went in there and God gave it to him. He had conquest over the enemy. He took them. Because of his courage, we see his conquest. As much as is within me, I'm going to take it. And God gave it to him. God don't change. God will do that in this place. He'll do that in your life and he'll do that in my life if we really believe the word of God. Goodness. I've looked at those fruits, all of that, and I'm, I know there's probably a lot more than meaning than I've been able to dig out of all this. But I've often believed that those fruits were symbols of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, you know all those. I believe God says, when you step out to follow me, I'll give you every one of those. I'll give you every one of those. 
Don't you want your possessions? I want mine. I want God. what God's promised me. I was with you a little bit back in the early days, not very much when you came here, but I remember meeting a few times with Jeff and meeting with the church, and I came down here some and filled in for Jeff when he was unable to be here. And I remember a vision that you had. A lot of us here weren't here then, so we don't know about that vision. But you had a vision. You wanted to reach and minister to this whole territory. Not just Cadus, but all of it. You wanted to minister to them. You bought enough land back here. And in your mind, you said, we're going to get big enough. We've got to have more space if we're going to minister to this city and this county and this community. You had a dream. What happened? What happened? I know there's a lot of explanations. The latest census of Cadus, of Cadus, not Trigg County, of Cadus that I can find was made in 19 or 2017. 2017, there was 2,633 people in the city limits of Cadus. If 40%, and that's high, if 40% of the people in the Cadus, in, in the city limits of Cadus, went to church this morning, and I doubt it was that high, but if 40% of them were in a church this morning in this city, Cadus, I want you to know there's still, still 1,580 people in this town who didn't go to church this morning. You know what I think about those 1,580 people? They can be ours as well as they can be anybody else's. They ought to be in church with us. We need to go after them. Do they bother you? Most of those people are not saved. They're the dream that we had. They're the ones that God has placed on our hearts. I'm going to get a lavalier next Sunday. I'm going to go mess with all this thing. But I want to tell you something. God says, I'll give it to you if you'll have the kind of character that this man, Caleb, had. Don't you want that? I can tell you I do. I want that. I want that more than anything else. And I believe for such a time as this, God's placed us here in this place. Do you really believe that can be done? Or are you just thinking, I'm going to keep doing church until I get old and can't do anything? How do you really feel about that? I want to tell you something. I think you need to know this, need to understand it. I think God loves a little old church about two weeks and then he wants it to grow. I believe he'll tolerate it for a while, but then he says, the fields are white into harvest. There's a lot of ministering that needs to be done. No one person can do it, but together we can do it. I'm going to ask you to stand.
We're going to have an invitation in just a moment. I want to ask you this morning, would you really long for and desire to wholly follow the Lord your God? ask you to bow your head right now. With your head bowed, could you honestly, honestly say, God, I really want that for my life, to wholly follow the Lord God. I want that more than anything else. You may not be a child of God. You may never have asked Him to save you, to forgive you, to save you, to make you His child. This morning, would you be willing to say, Lord, I've never done that. I know you love me and you died for me. And I'm asking you, would you save me? Forgive me for my sins and save me. Father, this morning in this room, I pray that you would speak to us. Father, I pray that you would continue to speak to me about all the things that keep me from wholly following the Lord God. Father, if nobody else goes that direction, I pray that I will, that you will take all of me and use it for you. As we have this invitation, if God's speaking to you this morning, if he's speaking to you to make it public, I'd encourage you to just come. He may want you to come and pray this morning. He may be telling you something I haven't even spoken about. If he's speaking to you, would you just quietly say yes? Would you say it publicly? ask you to be seated just a moment if you would. Before we receive our offering this morning, let me remind our guests again that you're not to put anything except that little torn off sheet that you filled out. In a mission in South Africa, Vert just been saved. She's attending her first worship service that she'd ever been to. And the pastor talked about they were going to receive the offering. And then he prayed. And in the pastor's prayer, he just simply prayed for all of them that uh, they would give back to God in honor and spirit for the sacrifice that God had given for them. When he got through praying, the, path, the plate began to be passed up and down the aisles. This is a true story. Began to be passed up and down the aisles. And as this young lady who had nothing was thinking about all of this, she had an inescapable urge to honor her God who had saved her. And when the plate came, She was sitting down and it was passed and she quietly got a hold of the plate 
And she set it down on the floor. And very quietly, she stood in the plate. You get the picture? She stood in the plate. And I want to tell you what I believe. I believe every true worship experience demands that kind of response. I believe that with all of my heart. As we receive our offering, along with some announcements, we will then be dismissed. groups resume next Sunday and then uh, the Wednesday night will start the 8th and on the Wednesday night um, if you haven't heard Kevin and Kendra Terrell is going to lead our youth and I think Kevin will be getting in contact with some youth and youth parents we appreciate them doing that Um, women's ministry if you need to see Ramona about that that starts that also the 8th 